Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we feel the weight of uh, our own doctrines that were pressing in on us uh, this morning. I, I was particularly feeling the weight of the lost state of my girls this morning. And uh, it's really hard, hard enough when we go through trials, but it's especially hard when we see those who are very close to us, a loved one, a children's spouse, a parent or sibling, um, or a close friend and we know and are dear to us where it's we, we read about tragedies with strangers and we shake our heads and, and pluck our tongues and say it's, it's a, um, this is a hard world but but when when it hits home with uh, grief and a pain at a, at, a, at a level that's beyond physical, um, it's hard to even put in words the way that we feel sometimes. And Father, we, we acknowledge that this morning, that we are broken people apart from your grace. There is nothing good in me, in my flesh, as Paul said. Anything that is of any worth uh, in eternity comes from you. And we thank you that you have decided to not leave us in that broken state, but you have undertaken a great expense to yourself um, to provide a way for not just for sins to be atoned, but for the righteousness of Christ to be applied, and then to not be left in the state in which we were born in Adam, but to be through Christ reborn and regenerated with a new heart. And we have a shepherd now that we can go to in times of trouble, whereas before we were sheep without a shepherd and we didn't know where to go or how to handle life um, and were just exposed to the, to the raw uh, shake and bake of the world, Lord, that you uh, have, have rescued us from that and we now have come to the, to the shepherd of our souls. And so we thank you that this is true this morning. Remind us of these things. Remind us of the greatness of your promises and your character. It's in this that we put our faith, not in our abilities, Amen. not in the circumstances, but in you. Remind us of this again this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in God's providence, we are where we are. And um, new notes this morning. Um, you know, I was I was trying to come up with a title, and I kept coming back to this one here. I can't. I don't think I could beat that. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, what a title! What is what an astounding statement. We're going to look at that. This is um, uh, this been this is one of the seminal verses in John's Gospel that we're <clears throat> that we're coming toward here in this text. Let me start by reading this this morning. Uh, or maybe uh, you could have somebody read that this morning. Who would like to read our text this morning? Remember that again, that's 59 on 20. Right? Anybody? 852 to 59? Yep. John. The Jews said to him, 
Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died also too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. And that said nothing could be valid. He is our God, and you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you say, and you have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Thank you. So this is the last section in John 8. <clears throat> As I mentioned to you, um, when you compare all the Gospels, and you'll see this if you have that book by John, uh, One Perfect Life, you'll, you'll notice this, that Jesus, that you might say the, um, the mood, for lack of a better word, of, of, of what Jesus is saying, or the message that he is proclaiming shifts during his ministry from, from sort of this, almost this bright, hopeful uh, perspective, right? because he bursts on the scene having been introduced by John the Baptist, right? And he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's baptizing just like John had done. He started his ministry with a cleansing of the temple. People knew this needed to be done. We, we looked at that uh, uh, on this, this trip. There was uh, one little room that we went into that had a, 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 a I don't want to say it big, but it was a, it was a fairly good-sized model of Herod's temple, the drawings and so forth. And, we talked about that and where in the, in the very, very outer court, the court of the Gentiles was where they had this uh, bazaars of Annas. They turned it basically into a mall. And it wasn't just, you know, fair commerce. I mean, it's bad enough to be in the temple, right? But it was, it was unfair commerce. You weren't allowed to bring in Roman coins uh, in there to, to, to pay your tithe. You had to, that's what the money changers are doing is they're changing Roman coins that have the images of Caesar and and you know Roman idolatry on them and exchanging that for for temple currency right and guess what the exchange rate was not fair at all okay and so you paid a lot of your personal hard-earned money to be able just to pay your tithe imagine that coming in here we didn't accept dollars we don't accept certain you know, Blue Ridge Bucks or something, right? And, and, and it was an exchange rate of one, one Blue Ridge dollar for 10, you know, 10 to 1. That's pretty bad. I've been in charge of that. <laughs> yeah, Larry, Larry will take you that. Uh -huh. So anyway, we're getting, we're getting derailed <clears throat> as soon as Larry raises his hand. <laughs> uh, yes, so, so uh, it, was, it was a big time scam. Okay, and we've talked about that. We'll we'll, we'll see that um, a little bit more when we uh, is in chapter eleven when we talk about um, when we meet uh, Caiaphas, who was the high priest. We'll talk about that.
Jesus bursts on the scene. He does this. There's some hope because here's this man. Just um, people had gotten sort of, you might say, that the, the, the pump had been primed by John the Baptist, right? And people were excited. And Rome had been in charge a long time. And before that, it was it was Greece, and before that, it was the Medo-Persians, and then it was the Baptist, and they knew their they knew their their prophecies from Daniel of these four kingdoms, and then and then here comes the Messiah's kingdom, and they were looking for that at any time. And you see that a little bit in Luke, right? The Christmas story. Sometimes we miss that, focusing on the manger and the and the um, the visits uh, uh, of the wise men, but there's also the accounts of, of Anna and uh, um, come on, the man Simeon. Simeon thank you. Um, right, and they were looking for the hope of Israel. They were both very, very excited about that. And, and uh, uh, anyway, so true Jews, true people who were following God, were excited about this. Could this be the Messiah? He comes on the scene. He's got this this message. It was very, very close to John the Baptist. We see that at the end of chapter, the latter half of chapter three. Right? How similar, actually, all of chapter three. What Jesus says to Nicodemus compares almost word for word what, what John the Baptist tells his disciples in that same chapter. So they had not only the same mode of calling for repentance from the descendants of Abraham to say effectively, my lineage in Abraham is not enough. I have to be born again. Okay. Um, uh, and so, and, and so here, here he comes. John is pointing to him. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. There's this excitement. As things come along and progress, uh, I was thinking this morning a lot, uh, particularly when you were talking, Diana, of chapter 6, where Jesus reaches the pinnacle of his popularity, right? And a lot of people have been hanging around Jesus. A lot of disciples have signed up for Camp Jesus, more than John. And John had a lot of disciples. John had a lot of impact. We see John's, he casts, as I say, cast a long shadow. We continue to see him. Even in the book of Acts, many, many decades after he died, still still people following after him. And, um, right, Apollos is one uh, example. But um, Jesus is, is growing in popularity, and the leaders are, they don't know what to do about that, right? They don't like what he's saying. They've been against him pretty much from the beginning. Uh, there's a few like Nicodemus that are maybe a little more open-minded. And we might say, uh, but most of them are, are, are against him. They see him as a threat, but the people like him. But then here comes John 6, right? And many of his disciples leave him. Even though the day before he just fed 20,000 people from a small one, they wanted to make him king, and he put a stop to that real fast. He wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. And they began to realize that. And, I, and I, but I, this morning I was thinking about, you know, um, you know, it's hard when you go through through difficulties like this, but I like what Peter says because Jesus and his disciples are watching as and 12 are watching as they as the disciples are leaving. John 6, 66, right? For this reason, many no longer followed him. They, they went back to what they were doing and, and they're leaving. And Jesus, rather than running after him, hey, guys, wait a minute, you know, he lets him go. And he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? Wow, I don't think I would have said that. I would have been doing everything I could to keep whatever was left, right? But Peter says, to whom will we go? You have, you and you alone have the words of life. 
And, you know, that's, that's the way we are too. We will persist. If you're a believer, you will persist. If you're genuine, mm -hmm. you will persist. Um, you will stay um, because you recognize, and, and I heard, I think it was John or uh, maybe it was R.C. Sproul this week on that. Um, I think it was Sproul who said, they, they didn't like his words either, but Peter was like, where else do we go, you know? <laughs> where else do we go? And it wasn't done for them either. They were just, they thought that was hard. There were tests coming that they were going to fail. But God brought them through. He brought them through it all. And he used that. And, and he said to Peter, you know, Satan has uh, desired to drop you in the shrub. That's kind of the way I've been feeling a lot. God has taken our family and dropped us in the trip. Yeah, thought we were doing the right thing. But I was following you. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean you were doing the wrong thing. No. But you do think that. You do wonder. But God is, you know, he has... The, he has his reasons. He has his purposes. And Peter, guarantee you, Peter and the others didn't see that then. Um, when we get to the upper room, uh, that's where I'm at right now with the other Bible study. And it's just, um, they they walked into that room on cloud nine. They were so elated. I guarantee you. Um, you again, compare all of the, compare all of the uh, gospel accounts. Matthew and Mark are pretty skimpy on details. Luke gives us a little more, John gives us the most. And when you compare all of that together, it's pretty clear that they were very much on cloud nine because um, they were anticipating any time he had finally come and presented himself, rode in Jerusalem, right? And, and was there was this great welcome that of, of the people, Hosanna, blessed see the children are excited, right? And the leaders are frustrated, running around, not sure what to do. And the disciples were sure this was it. Man, right at the Passover, this is Jesus. And man, I'm really looking forward to eating. Oh, yeah, man, we were so excited. And they get, when they walked out of that room, it was a very, very different moment. Because God had other plans. But it was better in the long run, wasn't it? All right. So, didn't mean to get into so much framing there, but that's kind of where we've been. And so the point is, uh, trying to get to here it's a long way of saying it but it's it's you see this this arc of excitement and and build up and build up and build up in in jesus ministry and then it begins to to decline and fewer and fewer people are believing him and, and following him i mean there's still the leaders which are very actively against him but i think most of the people just you know yeah he's there and we know about him, and maybe he is, maybe he isn't, you know, um, and, but very, very few to the point where on Acts, uh, after after the resurrection and the ascension, and Acts, there's only 120 people. Think about that. 120 people in that upper room at the birth of the church. It's not a lot to show for the Son of God, three, three years of ministry, and all that he did. It was about to change really fast, but... From a numbers standpoint, that's we would call that a failure, right? Compared to the millions of people who live in that area. It's a very small number. All right. But here he is, and, and, and all the gospels, 
have this, these pointed passages where Jesus is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He is very confrontative to the Jewish leaders and to their system. And he, he tells them in no uncertain terms that they are on their way to hell. That they that they are on their way to condemnation. That they are going to be those who are the uh, wedding guests invited, who who say, "Well, I'm too busy with this, that, or whatever." Right, making their excuses, and then they're going to stand outside and watch as foreigners come from the north and the south and east and west and take their place with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you yourselves are left outside. That is a horrible feeling to be outside in the cold and dark, looking in feeling like you know your heart is in, in there but your body is out here right you know uh, that's what a, what a terrible picture that is and they hated that they hated that they uh, thought they were going to be the few that were in that's right it was exactly the opposite of what they thought that's right exactly right they thought they had they were the few faithful when they were were actually outside and so John 8 is that passage in John really it's the it's the one where where the heat gets turned up greatly, right? And we've already seen that. And we've seen that with um, his very pointed statement to them that, no, your father is not Abraham. Yes, I know that you're descended from him, but you're physically, but I know, but but spiritually speaking, you're not Abraham's children. In other words, you don't, you don't bear the marks or the character of the faith that Abraham had, right? And then they try to up the ante. Well, we're children of God. He's no, actually, you are of your father, the devil, right? <laughs> and uh, well, okay, time is really flying here. But um, so let's let's read this together. This is this is the last part. We're kind of breaking up this whole thing. Um, and remember that that in the verses just prior to this. They they accuse him or they they attack him right that hominem attack. You are a Samaritan and you have a demon. Are we not right in saying that? And he says I don't have a demon. And then we talked about honor and worship right and 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 the the appraising of the son of the father. But there's a surprising twist in there too, in which we found and this is an interesting doctrine. And I've thought more about it. I don't really know that I've heard this before, um, but there's, but the more I study it, the more I see it, begin to see it in scripture, that there is a, listen, Jesus, the father has judged Jesus too, and he has judged him not from the standpoint of uh, this buddy-buddy um, relationship, well, you, you know, we've been together, you know, all these eons of eternity, so I'm going to give you a pass. No, Jesus, the man, was judged by God the Father. He was honestly, objectively evaluated by him with the same evaluation that all uh, members of the human race will be, but he was found to be perfect, right? He was, he was found, that's why the Father says many, several times, when he does actually speak, he speaks three times in the Gospels, when he does actually speak on several occasions, this is my son, what? In whom I am well pleased he can say that because he has honestly objectively evaluated him and jesus hints at that in here where he says that there is one who judges right 
So we're going to pick up on that again here because he's going to continue to talk about the honor a little bit here in just a minute. Let's read the read the notes. And let's focus in on this this one phrase. This is the namesake of the of these notes here before Abraham was I am. How many ways can Jesus show himself to be God? Throughout this chapter, the discussion between Jesus and the Jews has been heating up as Jesus shines the light on the Jews' lost condition and their need for him. In this final section, Jesus brings things to a boil by making one of the clearest statements in all scripture about his deity. This is on top of all the countless signs he performed, people whose hearts he knew, objections that he answered without hesitation, and questions meant to trap him that he masterfully dodged, all of which pointed to the inescapable conclusion that this is no ordinary man. The final, this final statement is itself a marvel of simplicity and profundity. There is a, here is an attempt to peel back some of the layers to show forth the glory of the mind of God in that moment. Before Abraham was, I am. I think your translation that you read that says born, before Abraham was born, yeah. that is not actually in the text. <clears throat> you know, it just says before Abraham was, and I, I appreciate what the translators are doing there, but I think there's more actually there than just his birth. Okay, and we'll, I think we'll unpack that here in these four bullets. So, even before we, we tackle this, you, when he says that, you can you can feel the impact of that. You know, even coming through multiple languages, through thousands of years of culture and so forth, we still feel. I mean, you read that, and it's like, whoa, what kind of response is that, right? But there's a lot going on here, and um, and so. Let's unpack this for a minute. I just put four bullet points down here, just as I was, as I've been thinking about this this statement that Jesus makes, um, that they have no answer for except to pick up stones. It's done. They, they're, they're done talking at this point, okay? Because they got it too. Well, what what is he telling them when he says this? Okay, uh, bullet number one: before and was is a statement of time. It refers to a time when Abraham, their great father, the first Hebrew, did not exist. At the time Jesus made this statement, Abraham had been dead about 2,000 years. And I, I did a quick uh, search on that, and, and that is about right. It's just right at about 2,000 years. Yet Jesus refers back in the present to a time before Abraham lived as if, as if he remembered not only Abraham, but also the events that came before. Okay. Indicating, now here's one here, because, uh, because he also says in connection with that, Abraham saw my, saw my time and, and was glad, right? He, 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 um, there's, there's, there's more going on here than just the, the physical existence very much, which is why I, I point that out about that translation, that it's more than, more than just birth here, that Abraham, there were some promises that Abraham was given about his seed 
and, and the blessing <clears throat> that he would be to the nation and was glad about that. So it's more than just the physical existence of Abraham, but that, that Jesus um, here has, has a recollection and a participation in the things that came before that led up to Abraham. Not just physically, but his calling. Okay, so that's what we unpack here in the next bullet point. Abraham was not a Hebrew until God called him and made him such. Think about that. Somebody's one of the, I was listening to somebody, time preacher, somebody, and they said uh, Abraham was the first Jew, and I hadn't really thought about that. But that's true. Um, you know, being Jewish, you know, is is. Um, <clears throat> Paul makes this point actually in Romans 2, okay, where he says, a man is not a Jew merely physical. It's not just outward, right? But it is the inward circumcision of the heart that makes a person a Jew, you know, right? It's it's not just the fact that you, you know, that you've got the, the mark of the covenant uh, or that you've been born into this community, uh, but it is the condition of your heart, really, is is what and so. When, when God called Abraham, or Abram, he changed his name later, right? But uh, he called Abram, and he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a Hebrew until God called him. And God established a covenant with him and with his descendants. And uh, and then and that's when the whole thing starts, and that's important. Um, <clears throat> because Jesus here, let's keep reading that. Jesus is saying that he was there at the inception of not just Abraham, the whole Jewish race. Was he greater than Abraham? I mean, that's what they asked him, right? Who do you think you are? Are you greater than our father Abraham, right? Well, how about this? He was the God who made Abraham great. Abraham would have been nothing had God not called him and not set him apart. Now, credit to Abraham in terms of, from a human standpoint, of responding to that, but it's not you know, he responded in faith, but God didn't didn't um, choose him. In fact, he tells the, the Israelites later, yeah, I didn't choose you because you were better than all these other people, you know. He chose him and his descendants for his own purpose. So is, is Jesus the one standing in front of them? Is he greater than Abraham? Yeah, he's the reason Abraham's anything at all. Third bullet. I am... In this statement is, of course, another statement of Jesus equating himself to the covenant names of God from Exodus 3.14. That came at the time of the commissioning of Moses. Was Jesus uh, the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush? Yes. Moses is not directly mentioned here. But, but here again is another one of those statements in John, the I am. This isn't one of the seven, <coughs> you know, I am metaphors, right? We looked at this some time back. You may remember that I think there was something like on the order of 23 total of these, uh, that I could find anyway, of these uh, ego ami statements in is what it is in the Greek, where, where Jesus, and it's a very unusual Greek uh, construction, you don't normally put those two together in Greek. Um, and uh, but Jesus did, and he, in doing so, refers back to that covenant name, Jehovah, or Yahweh, really, okay, 
uh, in Exodus 3.14 at the commissioning of Moses. So it's not just there at the commissioning of Abraham and the beginning of the nation. He's also there at the commissioning of Moses, right? And the freeing then, the subsequent freeing of the nation from slavery to Egypt. But most importantly, there is equating himself with that with that name because Moses said, "Who do I say sent me? Right? Who do I tell them? What's your name?" And he says, "Tell them I am that I am that sent me to you." And every time Jesus invokes and says that, he says it. He says it many times. He says things like, "Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins." Okay, so. The gospel really is not even a message per se as it is a person, right? It is the, the gospel is, yet you have to hear a message and respond in faith, but you don't respond to the message, you respond to the one to whom the message points. You get the difference, right? And what he is claiming here is to be that one, to be that covenant-making God who established that covenant with Abraham, confirmed it with his, with, with his uh, sons. Abraham or Isaac and Jacob, and then and then commissioned Moses, right? All of that, all of that is tied up in this. It's an amazing when you start to unpack it. And the fourth bullet here uh, was I am uh, plays tricks with time and eternity. He lives in both the temporal realm and the eternal, where everything is present tense in at the same time. As this ordinary looking man stands in front of him. Uh, he is also existing at a point in time before Abraham at that very moment. That can only be true if he is both God and man. Before Abraham was, what? I am. Any point in time you want to choose, I am. There's a good word for us in that, too, as we look around in our own lives at any point in time, and, and as we've been talking this morning, and you, you know, we go through mountains and valleys, and, and you know that, and, and there are times when, you know, it seems like every, every single day there's a, there's a problem that, that I have to fix, right? Most of the time it's not too bad, but there's, there's some kind of problem. Uh, Oh, oh, it's picking up the action. Right. Here's I am just for There's a problem every day of our lives, but Jesus is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Okay. He hasn't changed. His promises are true today as they were five years ago when things were happier. Okay. And they will be the same when you die and you stand before him. And anyone who, who has believed that he is who he says he is and has put their faith and trust in him has passed permanently from the state of condemnation you were born in to a state of eternal life. Never to go back. And that's still true, regardless of the circumstances. 
He is the I am. He is the one who stands in that place, unshaken, unchanged, unmoved by anything. There is no power in creation that can stop him, right? Or, or thwart his love. Paul ends Romans 8 with that, right? I am convinced that neither height nor depth, angels, principalities, or what? Things to come, things present, things to come. My past sin, other people's sin or their lack of response or their response to the gospel, none of these things is able to separate us, what? From the love of God. He is the I am. He stands unchanged, unmoved by the, the winds of circumstances and, and things that happen. But he is not, uh, he's not at the same time um, unaware or insensitive to time. He lives in time as well, right? So he didn't stand outside of eternity unmoved by our pain and suffering as we go through time and we can't see around the bend in our, in our lives and, and it doesn't seem like things can get any darker and then they do, uh, you know, and uh, he's, he's not, but we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. He is able to, to understand because he also lives in time. As he's standing there with them, he understands that. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Right? I am here with you. I understand where you are. He's been calling them out on where they are. He's been telling them the truth about where they are and warning them uh, uh, about the fact that they don't believe that he is who he, he says he is. They don't believe that. And they're going to die in their sins. And he doesn't, he doesn't say that um, you know, glad or happy or just dispassionately. He's the one who uh, in a few months is going to weep over Jerusalem. He's going to weep over them. You know, with their hardness of their heart. Okay. Any other thoughts about this little sta statement here? This is a profound statement for you. The other goodies and the other truth we can squeeze out of that. I just think it helps us to appreciate His Majesty, His Lord. The more we think about it, like you're talking about, that He is, He is, He became, He left the realm of, of uh, outside of time, came into this realm, became a man, subject to the laws around Him, and yet standing outside of them and uh, is working in us and uh, it gives us just a small glimpse of his greatness of his majesty and uh, it's sort of humiliating in a way for me to see even now the burdens that I bring to him uh, and uh, as if this one may be too big for him or maybe too difficult for him or whatever when I know that uh, these things have been laid on the platform and under his care before the, even the, age, the eons, the ages of life. And uh, as time passes, it's not letting us see what we're going to do, but letting us see how what God is going to do. Also, it helps us to just worship him. I'm, I'm really thankful. In spite of, we're talking about bad things that happen. 
and they do there are things there's lots of things that that i think in the flesh that i pray one way but i know in my heart kind of secretly i wish that i could do this or that or the other differently but i know that his way is best i know that and i know he hears a prayer at some i know he cares i know that that's not it's not a, a an issue to be debated and uh i know that he's going to bring his his purpose to that pass <clears throat> and I want to cooperate with that as much as I possibly can. And uh, it doesn't mean that I resign to things that are not the way I want. I still pray and seek those things, but I know he's in charge. I know he's going to make mistakes. I know he's good. And I know he cares. I know he cares. Um, he, he, he enters into our emotions. That's right. From his perspective. We know that judged by God first on his own merits and found to be perfect and then was going to be judged by God for the sins of his people uh, and, and uh, bear their their sin. They didn't think that, like you said a minute ago, Dad, they didn't think they needed that. They thought they were just fine. You know what, and, and, and really, God is, God is merciful to bring us judgment like that to, to bring us uh, we've been debating that kind of in our men's bible study a little phrase that first peter says that judgment begins with the house of god what does he mean by that you know thought we were you know there's therefore now no condemnation there's a sense in which there is no eternal condemnation for our sin but there's a sense in which god is trying our character and he brings those he brings those tough times like that to 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 show you uh, you know, first of all, the validity of your faith. I mean, there's a lot of people that bail out, kind of like John 6, 66, right? Everything looked rosy until, you know, didn't. And then they're gone. And, uh, and, then, and then when you do fail, like Peter, um, you're able to be brought back, maybe, or maybe you have Judas. You know? let's, put your, let's, let's put you to the test. Let's see if this is really real. 
not just so that not so that he. I mean, that's why you heard me say before, teacher doesn't ask you questions on your test because they, they don't know the answer. I'm hoping you do, right? <laughs> they give you the test to show you whether you know the material or not, right? to reveal how much you really know the material that you are supposed to have been learning. God does the same thing with us. Takes a lot of conditioning to be able to carry that. When you talk about a race, you look, I'm looking at the Olympics this past week. The conditioning, strength, physical endurance that takes to carry that type of armor into the world. Just to stop winning. You're going to carry all that stuff. You've seen those battle scenes, 100 pounds of armor. Gotta be conditioned. Finish the battle. Finish the race. You're not gonna get that sitting on the on the lounge of life. Uh, and the disciples, they were kind of wobbly there at first. They went through some serious conditioning. Every one of them was hardened runners by the end of their. Realizing that he is, I am, and not just another somebody outside of this realm that you kind of light the mist, you know, and try to try to get it up to him or something like that. But when you say his name, he's there because he is, I am. And so when you ask him, anything else you want to say about that? How are you supposed to? How are you supposed to clarify that? I mean, what a statement. I say your say I am that I am. Well <laughs> anybody could understand even can. But yeah, I look at that armor I'm like, man, it's it's not the weed. You need to build yourself up, strengthen yourself up spiritually, physically. And that's what he does to them. It's not fun. That's right. But he didn't call it to be fun, did he? No. Yeah, that's right. Careful what you sign up for. <laughs> yeah, the good news is uh, you will be recorded. in a couple chapters we, we read about the good shepherd. <clears throat> it's not that you know um, it's not that you go through tough times only because you are a Christian. Not everybody goes through a hard time. Um, but you're not a you're not a sheep without a shepherd. Amen. You have you have a shepherd. Amen. You have someone you can turn to. You, you know these things. Amen. You know that that the that the trying of your faith involves perseverance. Where would you be if you didn't have a shepherd? The same circumstances on your own? No, thank you. Let's pray. Well, it's been a good discussion this morning. I thank you that we can be honest here, that it, this is not a rah-rah session, three cheers for Jesus, pep rally, but that we come humbly this morning for the great I am, the one who, even as we pray, 
right here in this point in time is talking to to them and disclosing this fact standing there in time and space as a man and yet outside of it as god and but that you are not untouched by our infirmities but you are we come to a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses we thank you for that truth i pray that you'll press it to us this morning and uh, remind us of these things the greatness of who you are as great as our problems i like to say our problems look too big it's because our view of god is too small so help us to see you right in right place high and lifted up as the eternal unchanging creator god that you are who is also our savior our lord our shepherd and our soon coming king remind us of these things and help us to walk in the strength you provide to learn that hard hard lesson of trusting you in jesus name